Jason and DeMarco are a pop duo who just happen to be two gay men, fathers and men of faith, with very lofty goals that we look forward to speaking to them about, and Outspoken is very happy to welcome them both to the program. Jason and DeMarco, you're on the air. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, because I know it's so new for you guys. Never. Never. (laughs) We we love being on the air. Right? Now, you, we want to start and delve right into the past, if you don't mind taking a little journey with us. Um, I remember being a young man in my 20s. I was a youth pastor in in a church, and I remember hearing you all's name for the first time. Maybe not on the most positive of lips, because you were gay men who professed to, you know, be Christians and have faith. Can you talk to us a little bit about both of you all's journeys in the beginning to be able to reconcile that? Well, um, sure. We, <laughs> we and I, I guess, you know, there's so many things. There's, it's like, where do you start that conversation? Right, right, yeah. You know, and yeah. I think it's funny. We went and saw Matthew Vines last week. Um, he was at our church here in oh, Franklin, Tennessee. He and, is so um, jealous. <laughs> it was awesome. But the first thing I said to him afterwards when I walked up to him is I said, you are making me feel so old. Um, <laughs> because we've. I, it feels like we've been doing this um, for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to see a new generation coming forward that's, that's even taking it further, you know, than we were ever able to take it because they're going out to more of the mainline churches now, you know, right. and, and sharing this message. Whereas when DeMarco and I started, you know, we were traveling predominantly to the metropolitan community churches, which, you know, were pretty much known as a gay church. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we were singing or preaching to the choir in some ways. But we really, uh, I think, you know, over 14 years now of us being... Um, you know, whether we wanted to be or not, we were kind of the first openly um, gay Christian artist. And then the fact that we were not only open, but we were also a couple, um, it, it kind of, the press ran with that. And they really, um, you know, it was kind of just something that we became that we didn't ever, both of us had moved to L.A. to actually pursue pop career. Um, me, primarily, because I didn't think the Christian music career was going to ever be able to happen. And um, it was actually by chance I was given a book, Stranger at the Gate, which is written by Mel White, mm-hmm. and it was my introduction to that there were gay-friendly churches out there. And as I started visiting gay-friendly churches, um, you know, they started having me come and get my story and do concerts. Um, it just kind of took off, and when DeMarco and I met, I just invited them to go with me on a few concerts, and I'd call them up to sing a few songs with me, and before we knew it, this whole career happened that neither of us really had any intention of happening. And now we look back and see the the groundwork that's been laid and what's happening and the shifts that are happening now, and it's pretty amazing. I, I, I thought I'd see it in my lifetime, but I didn't right. realize it would be um, this soon that we'd see a lot of these shifts happening. Yeah, and to even to even the concept of seeing it, and we know it in the back of our heads, but then to see the reality is, it's flooring, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... So tell us, so you two met, I think you met in Hollywood. Like you said, you were both trying to follow these these pop careers. Did you, how did you connect on, it wasn't always easy, it still isn't, to connect with um, another gay man on a faith level. You know that you know that you're attracted, but then you have this other, this whole other level of the faith. How did that relationship begin for you? This is Marco speaking now. How's Hi, it going? Marco. Um, 
Can you repeat the last part of the question? Another yeah, I'm, level of faith, did you say? Yeah, where you, you know how it's hard enough, you know, we can meet people, um, you know, who we're attracted to, things like that. But to have it be on a whole other level, to also find that you share this faith, what was that like? And when did that, that begin to grow your relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'll be honest, when I moved to Los Angeles with big hopes, <laughs> like many of us do, starting out in our early 20s, I, um, I I had a deal with God, basically, being raised Catholic, and that was, you know, I'll stay out of your way and you stay out of mine. Right, right. That was um, kind of the extent of my um, <laughs> faith life. And when I met Jason and was um, introduced to this incredible um, world of music, of, of praise and worship music. I mean, that was my opening and reconnection back with my faith. And there was just, you know, the first time I, I visited a, a GLBT church and, you know, experienced what authentic worship was, because I knew how hard some of those people had fought to have that church and mm-hmm. uh, the sacrifices they they had made. And I saw... Um, foster kids that were, you know, had a better life and received so much love from their same-sex family. I just saw so much beauty and authenticity, and uh, I felt I, I felt a stirring in my heart. And um, I'll be honest, I mean, if it wasn't for the spiritual part of our relationship, I don't think Jason and I uh, would be together, because we put each other through some really terrible things. As we were looking for, you know, self-acceptance and, right. and just trying to find our way in, in a world that told us we're not supposed to exist. Yeah, mm-hmm. you weren't supposed to be legitimate. And that we would never survive. Or, right, so. right. So finding finding him in faith and as another gay man, that was that was obviously a big uh, step in your relationship, but... How how has the response been from you know your family and your your friends? I mean, you're still in the church, but you're obviously you know not in the quote unquote traditional way. Yeah, well, you know, it's like you you said from the onset of this. You know, are you ready to take this journey with us? And yeah, um, it, that's really what it's been. It's, it's a journey. Nothing happened quickly. Um, this is Jason again, and you know, I was raised Pentecostal, so I came from a very different background. I think. Uh-huh. Mark of being Catholic, it was more of a social issue with his parents of, mm-hmm. you know, what are our friends going to think, or people are going to think we failed as parents, whereas for my parents, coming from a Pentecostal background, it was, you know, oh my God, is my son going to hell? Yeah. You know, what can we do to save him? And um, both processes took time, but mine took a lot longer. <laughs> my mm-hmm. parents took about seven years yeah. um, before they were able to really reconcile this issue. And a huge part of that was actually DeMarco and coming into my life, um, because they, they ended up, honestly, I think they love him more than they do me. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when they met him, it was like, okay, yeah. well, you know, this doesn't, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't this monster that they had kind of created mm-hmm. in their head. It was actually this person that they really liked. And, um, and they came around after that fairly quickly, you know, and it was really through meeting real people. They'd start coming to our concerts and, They'd meet people, and, and it just really, uh, that's what changed, I guess, their hearts and their minds. And then DeMarco's parents, they came around very quickly. Um, it probably took about a year. His dad was cool from the onset, but um, his mom took about a year to really come in and to embrace us. And um, we've both been very fortunate. You know, my parents, it's a, kind of a real miracle because mm-hmm. 
they actually are the ones that came to us after our um, twin sons were born, which I'm sure we'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> but um, when our boys were born through surrogacy, we really, we had had 10 years of touring and, you know, we had been out every weekend practically um, traveling somewhere in the country or in the world. So when we had the boys, we really thought it's time to plant some roots and we kind of thought our touring was done and we thought, you know, we'll always do music, but we're going to take a break. And it was my parents who came to us and said, listen, um, you know, it was probably about six months in to the boys being born. And they said, we really feel like you guys are supposed to be out there doing this. And even if you don't do it every weekend, like you've been doing it, if you want to go out once or twice a year on an extended tour and, you know, take a bus and we'll go with you and we'll watch the boys and help with them while you guys are, are performing. And so, I mean, that really Mm -hmm. shows you their turnaround and that they were the ones that, came and actually said, we feel like you guys are supposed to be out there doing this. And that's what the way we've done it for the last four years. You know, we um, we go out about twice a year on an yeah, extended yeah. tour and they go with us. That's amazing. And it, it says a lot, we need community, we need family to, you know, to help us, every one of us. And that's why it's so hard for some LGBT people who do not have that in their families. Let me ask a question. So you uh, you mentioned Matthew Vines, and you know we've had him on the show, and he's an amazing young man. I grew up in a Southern Baptist household. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister. And it is hard to enough, I think, to keep a hold of your faith when— you know, you happen to be part of a faith that that tends to lambast you every time you turn around. How have you all been able to still have faith as such a cornerstone of your lives? How have you been able to to keep a hold of it? So many people struggle every day still with, oh my goodness, my church just told me they disown me, I can't be part of it, but they so desperately want their faith. But, you know, there's that struggle. How have you all been able to do that? I think it's interesting because, you know, and I I feel like this question has come up before, and every time it's asked, it makes me ask myself the question because I don't, the answer isn't one, a definitive answer. All I can say is that through the journey of all of this, I've never questioned, well, I can't say I've never, I mean, probably when I was younger, there was a time where I questioned God's love for me, but... Um, there wasn't a time I really... I, I always had a connection to something greater. And, and I think that's another part is our spirituality has really shifted um, more. You know, I, I say religious religion divides and spirituality unites. And I, I think we've become, and I can speak for myself as Jason, I think I've become so much more accepting of where others are on their spiritual path, mm-hmm. uh, not feeling like we I have the answer but that there are possibly a lot of answers out there and that we're all on a path together. Um, and one's path may not be the same as another's. Right. And so when I started embracing other, other people's paths, it became easier, I think, to also mm-hmm. embrace my own and not feeling like I had to know all the answers, but just really following my heart. And I think when I did that, and even as when I was in the coming out process, I just felt like I was following my heart. I, there was not, never anything perverted about it or anything that would be, you know, um, uh, evil. You know, it was right. such a beautiful... I mean, it, my first relationship was such a beautiful relationship. And um, I just thought, how could evil be a part of this when it's so beautiful? Right. And so yeah. that was my big... I, I thank God I was... I, I'm a thinker and a feeler. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to process through it that it just didn't make sense. And then I started really looking at what do I believe? 
And is it? And what I found was that most of the things I believed is because it's what I was told to believe. I didn't really believe them, you know. Right. It, it was taught beliefs, and so once I started reading and searching on my own, um, it was pretty easy for me to be. You know, I, I guess I'm also analytical, and the um, data was overwhelming for me. You know, I right. started. Yeah. I started really seeing this as just another minority group that had been ostracized, and that unfortunately the church had used scripture and, you know, used beliefs to do it. But I started seeing how, you know, the African-American community had been um, justified, justifiable, treated that way through scripture, that women right. had been, you know, downgraded because of scripture. And to me, it was like, oh my gosh, this is another community, and it just so happens I'm a part of it. And in right. that, it actually flipped to me feeling like I had a purpose, even a greater purpose, in helping to... Uh, be a part of of bringing um, awareness yeah, and educating yeah. the church on the issue, and I think that's really what we've we've tried doing is just really just being a light, mm-hmm. you know, and saying we don't have to agree, but let's love one another, and that's really what our our message yeah, has been throughout yeah. the core of everything. It's just let's love one another, I and that's that. such a beautiful message. You know, you're you're talking about your whole journey, uh, the things you've discovered, how how you process things, how you think about it, and we're sitting here just. Yeah, you, know, you don't di- even see the yeah, things going on. We had that with, same with conversation. Yeah. I think you're our brother and you don't know I, it. I think, I think that's what it is. Because <laughs> those are the exact statements we have actually said to All each other time. talking about the faith and spirituality and the acceptance of ourselves mm-hmm. and others' journeys. Anyway, sorry, it was a, it was a great moment it's we had to an say. Am- absolutely beautiful moment to, to hear this. Um, and, and the thing you mentioned, um, you know, how religion has used your scripture and, and religious authority to... Uh, segregate and to, you know, discriminate on other races. And we've been talking about, you know, what's going on in Indiana right now. And, you know, all these southern states backlashing against uh, marriage equality. How do you, I mean, talk about that with us? Uh, it's almost exhausting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like winter. If, if we spent the amount of money and time that they yep. are spending trying to prevent two people that love each other to simply have the same rights and spent that time and energy on feeding the homeless or helping yes. disabled yeah. children, or I mean, it's like, my God, there's so many causes out there that could be better served than simply hate and discrimination. And exactly. so it's extremely frustrating because to me, and what's really ironic is these are the same people that are doing it in the name of God. And yet, if you look at the message of Christ or any, um, you know, mm-hmm. master teacher, yeah. it's, it's completely contrary to any of the basic teachings out there um, yes. that we are, you know, that spiritual people or Christian people would abide by. So exactly. it's, just, it's so backwards that I almost, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I just don't know how um, people don't see it. But unfortunately... You know, there's obviously a lot of people out there that don't, but what I do think is that the younger generation does see it, and, right. and this is a terrible statement, but I just think mm-hmm. it's just going to be a matter of time where some of these people die off. And right. <laughs> I know. Well, honestly, it feels like the sad part is sometimes it feels like that's the only hope. <laughs> is there? But I will tell you, there's this amazing phrase that that I I jumped across. I'm sure it was on Facebook or something. But anyways, how it talks about uh, Jesus was not a Christian, Buddha, Buddha was not a Buddhist, uh, Muhammad was not a Muslim. Their religion was love, and I think that's where we miss the point. Is that it's supposed yeah. to be about love, and you can't legislate love. Yeah, 
And so Correct. you're right. We waste too much money trying to do just that. And time. And time. But And we'll try to come back to really what we're talking about here. I want to talk about the next part of your journey. What... In what point, in what conversation did you you all come together and say, you know what, we want a family of our own, and your two beautiful boys, you brought them into the world to be part of your family. How did that process come about for you? Hey, guys, this is Marco. Um, we've always felt like um, looking at the, the bigger picture, the, the greatest chance that we would have to make the biggest impact would be to just go ahead, no matter what anybody says, and build our dream. Mm-hmm. And we just felt like if, if we could um, focus on our relationship with each other and God and, and uh, create this beautiful family, that would speak um, louder than any picket sign we could ever hold or any demonstration that we could ever be a part of. Not to say that that is not valuable, and we are so grateful right. for all the people that feel called to that. That's just not how we feel um, we can best impact. Right. We, I think one major area for me when I came out was that I didn't think I had kids. And so that was because I've wanted kids since I was a kid. I mean, I, I was looking forward to getting, growing up, getting married, having kids right. since I was a little kid. So coming out, that was a really hard um concepts for me, I guess, to, to grasp is, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have a family. I'm never going to have kids. And then obviously, you know, as I came into um, just the community and meeting more people, uh, we learned about fostering and adopting. And mm-hmm. it actually wasn't until I had brought kids up to DeMarco, I don't know, probably about five years into our relationship. And he kind of looked at me like, are you crazy at first? <laughs> <laughs> Because I think, you know, we had both moved to L.A., and he, I mean, he he was very career-driven, and as career-driven as I am, you know, I kind of, I have, I always have my hands in several different things. Right. So I kind of saw his response then, and I was like, okay, well, obviously it's not the right time, but I started doing my own research, and I started looking up some adoption agencies and talking to some people. So by the seven-year mark is when I really was, I was really, I was like, my biological clock is ticking, <laughs> and... <laughs> We have been out there. I had in my mind, I was like, look, I don't want to be, you know, like 35 was the oldest I wanted to be, to have kids. And um, so at seven years, we had had a lot of success. And I think what what I found, and I think what we found, was that we were kind of just, we weren't enjoying the process because, you know, especially living in Los Angeles and being in the music industry, it was right when one thing was happening, we were already on to the next. And right. we just weren't even enjoying the successes. And so I think we both kind of had a moment of, is, is this what our life is going to be, you know, ongoing? And we both just had this big moment of, if we're going to do this, I think it's time. What's right. ironic about that is that we really thought we were going to foster to adopt. And we performed at an event. And after the event, uh, we sat down at a table. It was a, it was a banquet type of event. And to our right was a fertility doctor from Boston, and to our left was a fertility doctor from Los Angeles. And he asked us, he said, are you guys, have you thought of having kids? And I said, well, we're actually looking, you know, we're in the adoption, um, or looking to get certified to foster, and we want to foster to adopt. And um, he said, well, have you ever thought of surrogacy? He said, that's what I do. And wow. the only thing I knew of surrogacy was 
number, I guess number one, I thought it was really expensive. Right. And then number two is um, I always heard stories of like, oh, my gosh, what if the woman decides she wants to keep the baby and exactly. she just, you know, walks away. So he kind of eased our minds that night and he said, you know, if you know someone that would, if you have a, a friend, you know, that would be willing to do this with you, um, it's probably about the same expenses as a legal adoption. Um, and I was like, well, I have friends, but I don't. I mean, there may be women out there that want to have my baby, but <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not friends. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even if they are, it ain't going to happen. So, right. um, but we kind of, and, you know, to make a long story short, we, we had a heterosexual couple that were very good friends of ours. And shortly after all of this, um, we were talking with them on a visit and we told him that we had met this doctor and he had told us about this. And and she immediately was like, oh, my gosh, you guys would be amazing dads. She was like, Aww. if there's anything we can do, she said, I'd be willing to, to help. And we basically looked at her husband and said, you want to talk with her about this? <laughs> and, um, and they did. And she ended up being our donor. And the doctor had told us, he said, you know, you guys can go ahead and harvest. We thought we'd have to do it all at the same time. We thought right. basically that we'd have to harvest and then have another lady that would be the surrogate, because that was another thing our doctor really advised to avoid that emotional connection and right. possible issues, is to have a separate donor from the gestational carrier. Right. And so we didn't have anyone that would carry for us, and we thought, well, we'll either maybe have the money down the road to do it, or we will meet someone. So we said, let's go ahead and, you know, we can do the harvesting portion, which isn't near as expensive. And um, and we did. And so we, we both ended up with 12 um, eggs that were mature enough to fertilize. Oh, wow. And so we split them, and I fertilized six, and DeMarco fertilized six. Wow. And we were really fortunate that all of ours um, survived and were fertilized. Wow. And then we froze them. They, they immediately freeze them. And the doctor basically said, you know, you have up to 10 years to transfer these. And... You know, he said, when we saw them, some of them may not survive, all of them may not survive, Right. You know, one of each may survive, and that was always the ultimate goal was, you know, we kind of went in this together, and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if they saw them, and each of us had one that survived, and they right. would transfer both of those, and they both take, and, you know, we'd end up with fraternal twins, but one would be my biological, one would be his biological, right. but they'd be blood-related through the egg donor, and... um the long and short of this, that's exactly what happened. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing. Your family, I mean, your family is beautiful. First it's gorgeous. Of all. It's and gorgeous. you all look alike. You all look definitely, definitely related. related. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like a real true family. <laughs> right? I love that. It came out there. perfect. It couldn't have been planned better. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was. It was pretty amazing. Mm. The whole journey. I wrote a book about it, actually. Oh, really? Um, it, it's called The Journey of Same-Sex Surrogacy. It's available on Amazon. Nice. Um, and it's not, uh, the majority of it is obviously our story, but mm. I really wanted to also make it a resource because in this process, I mean, I felt like we were walking through it blind so many times because there just wasn't a lot of data and, and resources out there for us. Mm-hmm. And so um, it has a lot of resources. I also included, I think, like five or six other couples' journeys. Um, our attorney actually wrote a chapter, really oh, wow. spelling things out for couples. Um, and so, you know, I'd encourage anyone, obviously, not just because our story is there, but it really is a great resource for couples right, that are considering right. 
Oh yeah, and we'll have our producer put it up uh, for people we'll to have that right to be able website. to get to for sure on Amazon. So you guys have created your family and such a beautiful one too, and then you went beyond that and you helped create, uh, you helped other people's create their family with safe, uh, safe affirming family environment. Talk to us a little bit about this nonprofit that you guys are doing. Well, it's Jason again, and um, you can tell I'm the Pentecostal one because I talk all the uh-huh. time, and DeMarcus is Catholic. <laughs> and quiet. <laughs> but someone's got to listen. <laughs> See, that's what makes so, a perfect marriage. There you go. <laughs> well, this is the, the reason I talk about these things so much is because usually I'm the instigator of them, and then he's the one that follows through and actually gets them off the ground. See, that's a team, um, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's how it's why we work. Because if I didn't have him, I mean, I'd have all these amazing ideas, but <laughs> none of them would ever get done. <laughs> I love it. So, safe is just it's such a passion project of mine that it's hard for me not to start off talking about it because it really stems that when I was, you know, the backstory, um, kind of reverting to the past is, you know, coming out. I, I went to a Christian college and then I graduated college and I sang with a professional Christian band. I sang with two of them. One was called Truth, and then the second was called The Sound. Mm-hmm. And when I was with the second one um, is when I came out, and I came out to the band, and I literally was kicked off the bus. We, but they got to the next venue, and they made me go in and tell the pastor to take me to the airport. Oh, wow. And I basically, um, my whole life was just thrown up in shambles because that was, I mean, that's, that was the path I was on. And, um, you know, the intention was to travel with them for a year, and they were going to um, basically work to get me a record deal as a solo artist. Right. So coming out wasn't just coming out to them, but it was really just coming out to the industry and really ending my career. And so in that process, I, you know, I had just graduated college and moved um, and, you know, gotten an apartment, bought all new furniture, and basically thinking I was really going to be stable and set. And I, I ended up, I actually ended up homeless. Um, for about, it was probably about four to five months. Wow. And in that nice. process, um, I had a man that had um, an apartment building, and he had a unit open, and he said, i tell you what, if you, he knew my story. I had shared it with him, and he said, mm-hmm. if you work for me as an administrative assistant, I will let you live in the apartment for free. Oh, wow. And that experience really probably saved my life, or at least changed my life in the direction that it probably would have gone. And um, I made it a point to say, I want to do this one day. I want to have an organization that helps other kids going through this. And originally it was GLBT kids and questioning youth that were maybe kicked out from their homes because of going through this. And um, when the boys were born, we ended up having some time, uh, ironically, because we weren't touring, and it was perfect time for us to launch the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So when the boys were born, I did that in Houston. That's where we were living at the time. We had moved from LA to Houston. And we opened it in Montrose, which is the neighborhood um, of, <laughs> of Houston. And, you know, we, we at first we were like, well, this is going to be for GLBTQ youth, you know, that are homeless or that are need a safe spot. And that's what we named the organization is SAFE. Mm-hmm. Um, it stands for Safe Affirming Family Environment. But then we thought, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't limit it to just GLBT because then we're excluding just like everybody else is. Right. So we just opened it up for homeless kids or kids in need. And we thought maybe 10 kids would show up, and uh, in less than eight months, we had over 400 kids just register with us, and we were averaging about 50 to 60 a day. Oh, my gosh. And it was, and these kids were, they were almost all homeless. They 
integrated so well with society, though, that you really couldn't tell. I mean, they, they knew where their resources were to get, you know, they had decent clothes. I mean, they've come in wearing Abercrombie and Fitch, you oh, know. Wow. Um, but they were sleeping behind McDonald's at night. And it was just such an overwhelming experience for us. And, you know, we, I mean, we, we did what we could in eight months. Uh, we served breakfast, and then all day we had life skills for them, and then in the evening we had dinner. And and we had some great success stories um, through that experience, but at the eight-month mark, the landlady sold the property that we were leasing. Oh. So it really allowed us to step back and look at the program, and what we found was that over two-thirds of those kids that came in that were homeless, the reason they were homeless is because they had aged out of foster care. And basically when they turned 18, mm-hmm. they – are basically shown the door and they just have nowhere to, to go. They have no family, no support. These are kids that either haven't been adopted or they were living in a group home or a foster home. And when they age out, you know, they just are out of the system. And so when we moved to Tennessee, rather than opening another drop-in center, which was an option, um, we basically said, you know, let's try reaching these kids before they age out. And what can we do to start, you know, connecting these kids and, and really benefit not benefiting, but educating right. them on their um, benefits, you know, letting them know what, what's available to mm-hmm. them. And so, ironically enough, <laughs> life is just one big, when I talk <laughs> about it sometimes, it's so, have you ever just talked about your life and you think, whose life is this? <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, that's how I always do it, actually, so... I'm serious. It's like I'm talk- it's so funny as I'm talking to you guys, I'm like, how the hell did we get here? Because <laughs> That's a typical show for us. You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, it, it it really it sounds like a um uh, it sounds like a good comedy, really <laughs> great comical movie, but we ended up moving from Houston. Everything kinda came to a close in Houston and we ended up moving to Tennessee. My parents lived in Gatlinburg. We wanted to get closer to them, we wanted seasons and we came to Nat- and Nashville was kind of a no-brainer because of the music industry. And so we flew into Nashville and looked for a place. And there was a place for rent um, two years ago when we first moved here. And it was in a town called Franklin. And we kind of thought, oh, that's really far from Nashville. But we drove out, and it was in the country, and it just seemed like it was a really beautiful place. And so we thought, well, let's lease a house there for a year and you know see if we like it, see if it's too far so we did, and at the end of that year lease, we had a realtor friend, um, and she knew we were looking at buying something, and so she came to us, and she said, there's a place, and she said, it's a farm, but she said, it, and it needs some work, but she said, it, it sounds like what you guys are wanting, because we told her we want a house with a guest house and a barn and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we came out, and we ended up buying this ranch, and we named it Gratitude Ranch, mm-hmm. and it's obviously it's a perfect place for the boys, and um, you know it's, it's we really did it knowing that it would be a wonderful place for them to grow up, and, and it was a great community. But I don't think what we realized in buying the ranch is it was kind of also well, it definitely was also the next chapter for the nonprofit as well. And we didn't even make that connection until we were already living on the ranch, and it was just one day I had this aha moment because I had kind of put safe on the back burner when we moved. um, Tennessee, and I just felt like when it's the right time, you know, things will start happening. But I knew we were going to take it a different direction and didn't quite know what that looked like. But when we, I went and read the mission statement of SAFE on the website, which is safehouseforall.org, I um, 
I read it, and it, it, the, this has been out there for years, but it said to acquire property where we can um, help kids that are aging out of foster care you know, make a transition to independent living, where we can create a space for foster families to come and visit, connect with one another, where we can recruit gay-friendly foster families. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I literally called Marco over, and I'm like, look mm-hmm. at this. And I had him read it, and I was like, we're sitting on it. Like, we've got this – we have this ranch, like – we could totally use this space for all of these things we want to do. It wasn't as big as I always imagined it. You know, I, I always thought we were going to be like donated a hundred acres right. and yeah. right. retreat right. center and dream you know, big. I, I kind of, I had this grand vision in my, <laughs> my mind, but I'm like, you know, we've got six acres, you know, and we, we have space. And the really funny thing about it is we had even, um, gotten some animals we had donkeys and we had uh, two ponies and we had even gotten chickens and we were and, and i still have my like, in the world two gay boys from west hollywood ended up on a farm in franklin tennessee still blows me away it's still it's but green acres all over again it is it is <laughs> and we love it i mean that's the craziest part is that it's totally where we're supposed to be right now but in all of that it really launched faith in you know, we we had the animals to attract families in the community to come visit on weekends. We started a program called fosterafarmpet.org so that families that don't have the time or the space to have, you know, their own farm animals, they can foster one of ours for a monthly donation and it nice. benefits safe. Families come out um, every weekend, every Saturday is family day, and they bring their kids. And the kids can say they have a farm pet even though they don't technically have it at their house. Right. <laughs> so it's great for parents because there's no hassle or no mess. <laughs> and then it's great for us because we get to share about the program and we get to even connect families that are maybe interested in learning more about fostering, you know, with the Department of Child Services. And also really share, you know, about the need for um, LGBT and questioning youth in foster homes that are being placed in homes that aren't necessarily friendly. And it puts right. them through, it puts them and the foster families through more turmoil been good. And so all this work that our nonprofit we've been aiming to do and that we've been envisioning and, you know, it's like it's really taking off and we've got this space and our whole life is kind of interwoven with it. And this Sunday is actually the big launch. We're doing a hot air balloon Easter egg drop um, on on the ranch. And it's really launching the nonprofit and introducing us to the community um, and letting them know about our our programming. And um, and I could go into so much more about the vision and what we want to do, but I won't <laughs> on this call. But people people can visit the website and see. But essentially, we're we're going to Marco and I are getting our um, being certified to foster, and we're going to foster at least one or two kids aging out this summer. See, and we're actually amazing. launching the program by us fostering these kids that are aging out. And our ultimate goal is to grow that to where we can house, you know many, many more than that. Well, what I love about um, going through your bio, and I know you guys have J- Jason and DeMarco.com, is reading about that is you have this vision that goes even so much farther, um, talking about housing and everything. What I find wonderful about this is where in the government, the foster care system tends to drop kids into families and then drop them out after they age out. You, This seems like a way t- to kind of give them tools Kind of, you know, to do what we should be doing as parents, anyways, um, and what the foster care system sometimes doesn't always deliver, which is giving tools and helping connect these kids so that they can have a productive and good life beyond, 
you know, into the well, adulthood. Even, even if they don't, you know, some of these kids, once they age out, some of them are successful, but they have no family. Like, where do they go on holidays? Where do they go on summer breaks if they're in college? So we're really hoping that the ranch will become a place that, you know, if kids out there don't have a place to come at Christmas, you know, that we'll have a space for them to come and they can have spend their holiday with us. We just want it to be a, a safe place that they feel like they can call home when they don't have one of their own. See, and I uh, I think that is amazing. Now, because our listeners would kill us if we didn't ask, is what's coming up music-wise? Do you have something music-wise that's also coming in your future? I know you just did a mini, you know, went around uh, singing, I think is what I read, um, recently do you have anything coming out anything fans can can look forward to in the music aspect um well to be honest the first few years of our uh, music career together i felt like we always had to be every year we were spitting out an album and right. before we could enjoy the one we were in we already had to be on to the next one and right just felt like after 10 years you know what we're not going to go as fast we're going to we're going to record a new album, which for us was recently, a few months ago, the Christmas record. Oh, yeah. And we're really going to enjoy that. And there's lots of songs on there that are not Christmas that work all year round. So we've right. extended those into the tours that we do, the extended tours a few times a year. So we're just taking some time to um, really enjoy the moment, enjoy our family, travel, meet people. Right. And uh, we don't have anything concrete, actually, in the works yet for new projects. Awesome. I think one of the new things is rather than doing full albums, there's going to be a lot of single releases. Right. Um, now with iTunes and everything's mm-hmm. digital. So I, I think what we'll probably do is, you know, if a song is written for us or if we write a song or, or something comes across mm-hmm. that we feel like, oh my gosh, we've got to record this. We have an amazing producer here in Nashville that we're working with. And I feel like, We'll, we'll probably do a lot more single releases. And then, you know, once you've got a certain amount of singles, you could always just release a, an, a CD with them. Right. And because, you know, beyond music, you guys aren't busy at all. I mean, I can tell you have a very, <laughs> very calm schedule beyond music. Um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. And I also think it's a beautiful example for those of us. I know I when I was younger, to be able to see too many, you guys have been together 14 years, your faith is very important to you, you have a family, um, and it's a lot of pressure to be put in that role model role, but I have to say, just knowing that you exist uh, at that age would have done done me wonder, so I'm really excited for the younger generation to be able to have stories like yours that are out there. Thank you. Yeah, well, whether you mean to be or not, I think everybody needs people to give them hope, and and that's and that is one quick story I was going to share about Matthew Vines. Is oh yeah, there was, his assistant was there, and when I went up to uh, meet her, she said, "Oh my gosh, I totally made the connection of who you guys are." She said, "When I was in college, I found your website," and she's like, "This is just a few years ago," and she said, "I couldn't believe that you guys existed," and she said, "In my mind at the time, she said I wasn't even out," and she said, "I just it seemed like it was another world." that you guys were even out there. And when she said that, I, it was, I said, well, first of all, I said, you're making me feel really old right now. <laughs> She's like, when I was in college, I found you guys. And, but I thought about it, and I thought, you know, there's so many stories out there that you don't get to hear. Exactly. And with the Internet and everything, you I mean, we have no idea who has found us. We have no idea how many teens right now that maybe are in ultra-conservative 
Christian homes mm-hmm. maybe have found us or even listening to our music, and we're giving them that little glimpse of hope that maybe they can grow up, meet someone that they love, even have kids if they want to have a family. And so I think that's what all of us are here to do is exactly. to just help others have that kind of hope and that, that kind of faith. Well, see, I think this is amazing. I kind of feel like we've just been at coffee. I didn't even realize my microphone's there. But no, like I love just talking to you and hearing. And I have to tell you, you inspire me to grow up, even though I notice we're the same age. But still, you inspire me to grow up, get married, have kids. And it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so see, you even inspire, you know, people of... Of my age. Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. We want to thank you, Jason and DeMarco. First of all, we've been enjoying listening to your music all through our two-hour show today and uh, promoting you guys. But we also wish you so much luck with launching the, la- the nonprofit. We're going to keep our eye on it, and we'll definitely put up for our listeners all information about it because that is a beautiful reason for life is what you're doing you know it's beyond all of the little things we can selfishly want for ourselves that's beautiful and i thank you so much for taking time to share that with sergey and i and with our listeners thank you guys we really appreciate you and the listener support well thank you so much yes you guys both demarco and jason you have a wonderful sunday and uh have fun with your kids thank you okay bye. Bye -bye. bye bye If you have just joined us, you are listening to Outspoken. This is, uh, we're on KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And we just spoke to Jason and DeMarco, two uh, uh, spiritual singers, as they say, um, who are doing amazing things with their lives and their family. Amazing so, work. Love it. So glad Let's we got to talk to them. take a quick song break. Uh, we are going to listen to the people we just talked to. We're going to listen to Jason and DeMarco, and it's going to be Bridge Over Troubled Water.